From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. As a way to provide ongoing support services for COVID-19 patients, Upstate created a COVID transitions clinic for patients who were recovering at home. Joining me today are two of the people involved in that effort, Diane Nano, who is a nurse and the Director of Transitional Care, and Dr. Ahmet Damoon, who is one of the physicians taking care of COVID-19 patients through telehealth visits. Welcome to HealthLink on Air, both of you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, let me have you start by explaining what the COVID-19 Transitions Clinic is and why it was needed. Uh, so uh, the COVID Transitions Clinic, um, uh, the uh, the pandemic really made us rethink how we approach healthcare, uh, at least uh, in Syracuse and in Upstate. Um, so our focus is inpatient care and outpatient care, of course, and we were so worried about overwhelming our inpatient uh, capabilities, our ICU capabilities. Um, the one thing that we thought about was how can we support that and also uh, uh, protect the hospital uh, by providing support in the outpatient setting, um, and how can we do that effectively? Uh, and that was the uh, that was the impetus for this. Um, the reason why um, we partnered together, um, uh, Diane has been involved in transitions in care, um, and um, uh, I've worked as a hospitalist at Upstate for the last ten years. Now I do primary care at Upstate, uh, and seeing both sides. Um, we uh, saw the important role that she plays in uh, those transitions of care. So we thought, okay, if there is someone who is COVID positive, and if they are found to be COVID positive, either through our screening clinic, through coming through our emergency room, or if they're sick enough to be admitted to the hospital, uh, the question that we asked was, how can we support them when they're at home? Um, this is, there's so many unknowns with this disease. Um, and um, how can we provide the best possible care for our folks at home? Um, and if things are not going well in the outpatient setting and we need to provide more intensive support, how can we facilitate that as a group? How can we get people to the hospital, to the emergency room? Uh, so uh, that was the background and why this was created and why we thought of this. For patients that maybe didn't need to be admitted to the hospital, but did need to be kind of followed. Exactly right. Um, and uh, initially, there was so little that we knew about the disease that our worry was if someone is found to be COVID positive or suspected, uh, suspected of having COVID, we didn't want the default to be, oh, let's just admit everyone, uh, because if that were if that would be the case, we'd be overwhelmed as an institution and as a system. Uh, so if we had a robust system for providing care in the outpatient setting, where if you think about just um, a care and chronic care as well as acute care for patients, um, uh, this is not something that I thought about previously because uh, previously I just focused on inpatient medicine. Um, a lot of uh, robust outpatient care can prevent a lot of inpatient admissions. Um, and uh, overall, it's um, much less disruptive for patients. Uh, it's much safer for, uh, for patients. So it's just a change in uh, how we thought about how to take care of our sick. 
Can you give me an idea of how many people have made use of the clinic since it began? Diane? So, go ahead. Go ahead, Dr. Um, no, I'd love for you to chat. Yeah. Um, so we've had, we've had about 138 patients um, that have come through the clinic. And as, as Dr. Dumoulin mentioned, um, some of those patients have been hospitalized. Actually, we're up to one, uh, 146. Um, some of those patients have been hospitalized. Some of them have been seen in our emergency room and some in our COVID um, transitions uh, in our uh, COVID screening. So the, the acuity of their illness has really um, been very different in some, in some accounts. And just to expand a little on what Dr. Moon said, when this thing started, we really didn't know what the trajectory of this disease was going to be. We really did not know. So we learned a lot while we were going, um, and um, we were able to really tailor our care to what we learned. Some examples of some of the needs that have come up among people or families that are coping with a COVID-19 positive person. Uh, so um, uh, from a provider standpoint, how can we best assess our patients? How do we know whether they're safe at home? How do we know whether they're improving, stable, or getting worse? Um, so uh, Diane uh, worked very hard to, to get us that information, um, uh, including uh, getting um, tools such as pulse oximeters uh, for folks who are discharged from the hospital. Uh, her relationships with visiting uh, nursing services has been very robust. So we're able to get a lot of information to see how someone was doing in the outpatient setting. So I'd like to ask Dr. DeMoon how it's been taking care of patients via telehealth, because that's how you stay in touch with them, right? Exactly right. Um, it's a very different paradigm for us. When we all uh, went through our medical training, we've always had a patient in front of us that we could talk to. Uh, that we could, um, we can listen to their lungs, we can hold their hands. And this has been very, very strange, um, of providing care through the telephone as well as through this video audio interface. Um, but um, uh, it's made us reframe, um, you know, how we can connect with patients. And this made us, at least made me think about how I can connect with patients for other medical conditions in the outpatient setting, besides just the usual way of a nine to five in a clinic uh, setting, um, um, uh, depending on my schedule for half an hour, 15 minutes at a time. So this uh, telehealth approach is, um, it's, uh, um, they're definitely uh, challenges. They're definitely um, they're definitely technological challenges. Um, it's amazing to see um, how families are able to band together so that um, they're able to support their 85 year old grandmother in setting up a a, a video interface so that I can FaceTime with them. Um, and it's also amazing to see how someone's breathing, which initially may be labored, uh, improve with time. Uh, it's in, uh, it's really interesting to see how um, uh, through telehealth, um, a lot of what we do and what we should be doing is really about listening. Uh, and sometimes um, uh, there's um, uh, a one particular patient that we took care of uh, who 
uh, lost a significant other to COVID uh, and uh, was discharged home. And when we uh, contacted this individual over time, uh, fortunately, this individual improved from a COVID standpoint, but I called uh, every day more as a more for psychosocial support for this individual. Uh, and, uh, you know, we all, we all choose medicine and in some way or the other, because we want to help people, but in the, uh, in the, the day to day of what we do, we sort of lose sight of that. Uh, so it's help. It's unfortunate that it takes a pandemic for us to reconnect with our patients. Uh, and it's, it's really interesting when we're connecting with patients through telehealth that you still have that connection, that bond and that really, really special connection. So, uh, it's been. It's been really invaluable for me. Diane, can you tell me about the COVID comfort kits? Sure, happy to. Um, so what we do for our patients who are, who we enroll in the COVID transitions um, clinic, uh, we, uh, we provide them with a thermometer, we provide them with masks, um, we provide them with information on contact tracing, um, information about quarantining, medication dispenser, as Dr. Moon mentioned, an oximeter if, if we're concerned about their lung status. Um, there's a homemade card that, um, that, we, that volunteers had made um, for folks. And then we're putting in other, other items that, um, that might be needed uh, by the patient or family. Um, and just to just to expand a little bit on what Dr. Moon said, I'm sorry if this you know doesn't really flow a little bit. Just one thing I want to connect. I want to correct our um, the number served. We're up to 178. I just looked at our dashboard, so um, more numbers than than we said. And the other thing that is is just really important um, is we're treating families. Um, if you think about it, this is a contagious illness. So sometimes we have entire families who are dealing with COVID. Some have symptoms, some don't, but they're isolated. Um, so if, if folks are not, you know, with their families, they're, they are truly alone and they're quarantined for 14 days. So what, what Dr. Moon was describing as this support really became a lot more important than I think any of us realized it would be. Um, and it's, it, was really, um, it was really a connection to the outside world to a lot of these people. After having cared for so many people with this disease, I'd like each of you to share with me what you've learned about the disease. Dr. DeMoon? It's taught me a lot of uh, a humility when it comes to um, uh, dealing with medicine, and especially when you're dealing with an infectious disease that we haven't seen before. Uh, so um, uh, once again, it's taught me before to uh, to listen more because there may be subtle signs and symptoms. For example, if someone uh, has been getting better and you followed a, someone for a week and they don't have a fever anymore, their shortness of breath, breath is better, but then all of a sudden there's a change. The question is why? Um, we've, uh, we've been able to find and diagnose a number of patients, for example, who've had uh, blood clots uh, related to COVID after the fact. We've been able to find um, folks who have had pneumonia and then they've had a diarrheal illness secondary to the antibiotics, something called C. diff after the fact. So um, um, 
it's a t the the basic lessons are are very broad. It's so surprising sometimes how someone with COVID can be completely asymptomatic. Uh, and I've had some folks who have literally texted me a video of themselves running in the backyard because they feel so good. Uh, and uh, uh, and other folks who are uh, so sick that we've had to admit to the hospital and uh, bring them to the ICU. So it's just, it, uh, it's, um, it's made me respect what I don't know. And there's a lot that we don't know when it comes to all uh, illnesses, but especially with this uh, uh, illness where it affects older folks differently than younger folks, uh, folks with um, comorbidities, uh, those who are immunosuppressed, uh, folks who have chronic lung disease, um, differently than folks who are younger and healthy. So um, the uh, it's uh, keep it keeps on teaching us. Thank you, and and Diane, what about you? Yes. Um, so one thing that we didn't talk about is it's how the workflow of the clinic um, goes. So what's happening is that we're capturing these patients on our COVID um, dashboard, and then members of our intensive transitions team, which is case management and social work, are reaching out to these patients um, first, and then um, passing off to um, our physicians such as Dr. Moon and, and their follow um, until symptoms go away. I think one of the things that's really important um, for, for um, us with this is the importance of the social determinants of health. So we're, as we're looking at patients, you know, their clinical status as Dr. Moon was describing, we're also, um, we're also realizing that um, a lot of these folks have problems with housing. Um, we were working, we had to work to get some people food, medications, um, really anything that they might need. It was in the middle of the summer, so air conditioning was an issue for some people. So, you know, just reaching out to community resources to be able to connect people with things like this, that was really important for their comfort. And if you think about it, we were asking them to stay at home. We were asking them to quarantine, and that's really hard to do in a very hot house. Um, so that was important too. We connected some folks with insurance um, and also with primary care if they did not have primary care. We've been working on sort of the front lines in Syracuse since this pandemic started at the end of winter. So can you tell us what it's been like and how you see things playing out? Uh, unfortunately, there's a lot of uncertainty. Um, we, um, I'm not sure as we um, uh, open up um, with respect to our gyms, with respect to schools, with respect to colleges, how things are going to change. Uh, I think another unknown is what's going to happen uh, when flu starts picking up and our other respiratory viral illnesses start picking up. Are we going to have low, smaller cases of them because everyone's masked and is being careful? Or are there going to be more cases? And is it going to be very confusing for us to parse out what we're dealing with? Um, uh, I think we're just uh, in a situation where there are lots of uncertainties, which is very unsettling for a lot of folks. Thank you so much to Diane Nano and Dr. Amit Damoon, two of the people at Upstate who are involved in the COVID-19 Transitions Clinic. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and talk show.
Hope Flink on Air.